Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, welcome back. Another uh, episode of Yolitics here. And Jason, you asked me whether we're going to have a beer on this this episode. I mean, it's, it's been a heavy week or two. I think yeah, we, has. we need one. I mean, with the hurricane in, uh, in Louisiana, now moving up towards Mississippi and Tennessee and out towards Virginia and Kentucky. I mean, it, it, and the, the this tragedy we're watching unfold in Afghanistan, too, the, the final hours of that. We, I say we need a beer, man. Yeah, uh, we are definitely going to have one of those today. What are you drinking? I'm drinking the uh, St. Arnold Original Cider. Nice. Looks, uh, I need some little, little lighter, a little more, little more yeah. flavor. I was going to say that sounds summery. It is. It's we're still summer. Yeah. It's yeah. Here we are, end of August. Um, I'm having an Armadillo Ale Works. Have you ever heard of them? It sounds from no. I mean, where are they from? They're out of Denton. I don't think I've ever had anything of theirs. And this one's called the Honey Please. It is the honey, mesquite. the honey, please. It's yes. The honey, please. It's called it, it, it's mesquite bean blonde. I don't know what all of that means. It just says it's uh, a mix of honey, malt, mesquite beans and Texas honey. Dude, Sounds interesting. It sounds Dude, summery. Take a well. swig right now. <laughs> what does this taste like? Well, I'll let you judge by my face since we're on Zoom. Oh, yeah, that's got some honey and, and like beans. That. Yeah, mesquite bean. I don't know what mesquite bean is. Like frijole bean? I have no idea. I mean, oh. nothing. I haven't swallowed any such thing yet. It's just liquid. Uh, but no, it's uh, mesquite beans with honey. Interesting. Interesting and combo. And it's a beer. Mm-hmm. Dude. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm curious now. I might go out and buy some of that. I'm saying Part Arnold, beer, part side dish, part dessert, you know. Is that what All it says? One. <laughs> All in one can't. No, <laughs> maybe it should. Right. So, um, you know, I keep talking about summary. Here we are. I mean, that went fast. We're uh, at the end of August. Uh, it just blasts by. Boy, the news has been uh, heavy and it just keeps on yeah. coming. And of course, you know, for several weeks now, we have been eyeing this date, the end of August, because that is the date that was set by the Biden administration to withdraw U.S. forces completely from Afghanistan. After two decades in Afghanistan, uh, we are now fully leaving. And of course, it also brings to an end this Herculean and I would say heroic effort by the U.S. military, this airlift that they have been able to pull off in in such a, you know, such dire circumstances and in such short notice uh, to get so many people out of that country. They've just uh, these people in uniform have just done an incredible job executing what has been a really tough drawdown there. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. And and then the the, the 13 um you know, members of the military who, who lost their lives. You know, one of the things that really struck me about that uh, was that they're all they were all infants or, you know, toddlers when we first went into Afghanistan. Yeah, they're, you know, in their uh, 20s. I think one was 19, I believe. 
Um, it's just, it, it's unbelievable that, uh, it, it does hammer home too. Yeah. you know, in a country where so many of us don't serve now. Um, and, and you hear these ages and you're blown back by that. You know, I was just saying to someone the other day, but you know what, that's who is making up a huge part of the military. You know, for those of us who didn't go into the service, you know, we don't, we don't think about that, but it's made up of a lot of young people. And we're seeing that reflected, unfortunately, in, in the casualties, all these people who had their entire lives ahead of them. Uh, it, it, it is, uh, it is tragic, but at the end of the day, the, the, the effort that the military is putting into this is, is unbelievable. Uh, to yeah. see. And, and there's also a lot of effort going on behind the scenes as well, too, from a number of uh, NGOs. I'm sure you've heard that non-governmental organizations, everything from the Red Cross to the Bush Institute mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas. That's the uh, at the George W. Bush Presidential Library uh, in Dallas. And the Bush Institute, of course, the war on terror began after 9-11. It was President George W. Bush who uh, originally gave the orders to go into Afghanistan because that's where Al Qaeda was hiding out. And that's where, you know, Al Qaeda was the ones who uh, uh, organized the plot to, uh, to to launch the attacks against 9-11 uh, on us uh, in, on 9-11. So the Bush Institute for, for years, since it has been open, what, 11 years, I believe, Jason, they mm-hmm. have been really kind of uh, helping the country get back on its feet. And one of the things they really have been doing is helping women and girls. And when I hear of, you know, the women and girls and the struggle they have there, I go back to Malala. Do you remember Malala? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, can, I can't pronounce her last name, so forgive me for that. I think she's known the world over she simply is. as Malala anyway. You can go pretty much anywhere in the world and say that name and people know exactly who you're talking about. Because she's so personified, the 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 resilience of Afghan women, des- despite what they lived through with the Taliban for, what, six or seven years that the Taliban was in, in control of Afghanistan. Here she was, a young woman who got a girl who got shot in the face on the way mm-hmm. to school and never gave up. And, and she fortunately survived. And and really made that her mission. Well, the folks at the Bush Institute are also making education of of uh, Afghan women and girls their mission as well, too. And now, rightfully so, they're pretty damn worried about what's going on there. Yeah, they have been at the forefront uh, advocating for women and girls in Afghanistan for many years. And uh, I think that that is only going to be amped up even further here just because of how personally they have taken uh, this as far as, you know, women and and, and girls issues in Afghanistan. This was like the first one of the first numbers that we set about dialing when we realized everything that was going on in Afghanistan. And would you believe uh, we start dialing? Dialing away, and we get we get to go all the way to the top of the food chain there at the uh, Bush Institute, and it really is going to be great perspective, I think. Uh, so, on the line with us right now is Holly Kuzmich. She is the executive director of the George W. Bush Institute in Dallas, which is right there on the campus of Southern Methodist University. Uh, Holly, thank you so much uh, for putting aside some time to talk to us about some really important issues here. Uh, I know that you all have actually been working diligently to try to get out people you all know and you all have worked with. So this is a a desperate time for you all. It's also a very personal time for you. So again, uh, thanks for taking the time. And if you could just kind of, you know, tell us what the past couple of weeks have been like as you all have tried to win the freedom uh, of several women uh, who you've worked with there in Afghanistan. Right. 
Well, at the Bush Institute, uh, we have a, a particular connection to women in Afghanistan in particular, because since the Institute opened, you know, uh, 11 years ago, one of the things we've always worked on is helping support women in Afghanistan and the gains they have made since 2001 when the Taliban fell. And, you know, we've seen millions of women going back to school, being able to participate in society, being able to work outside of the household. That all has come, you know, to a halt over the past two weeks. And um, in addition to the work we do to generally talk about those advances that have been made, make sure that we get it in front of um, the general public and policymakers. Um, uh, we also have run a leadership program over the last several years for women in the Middle East, North Africa, and Afghanistan. And three of the graduates of our leadership program are women uh, who have been in Afghanistan for the past several weeks. And we've been able to work with them. They've, of course, been scared out of their minds. Um, they're worried about uh, what this means for their daily lives and the safety and security of their families with the Taliban now back in control. And so we have been fielding urgent requests from them, as well as our broader network of people and NGOs and organizations we've been working with who are all trying to find a way to get women in particular, in addition to American citizens and special immigrant visa holders who've supported our troops for so long out of the country. Holly, tell us what some of these women are, are telling you guys, because I know you're probably in this frantic rush to try to get people out before uh, this deadline here on Tuesday. What are the women telling you? Has anything changed in the last two weeks since uh, the, the Taliban has uh, retaken Kabul? Yes. Well, you know, many of them, we've all sort of heard the stories and it's been confirmed by those, you know, we've been talking to that um, people are fearful to go back out under the streets wearing you know, the Western, the, the more Western attire that they had started to wear are back to wearing traditional dress. Um, at the moment, they're really sort of trying to stay safe and secure in their homes and not leave very much. They've even told us how television has changed. Mm. Um, apparently, in the past few days, entertainment has been pulled off of television. The, the roles representing women on television have changed. Um, People are, are, do not feel comfortable going to work anymore. I mean, everybody is really just sort of hunkering down at the moment, not leaving their homes. Holly, you were, you were talking about the, the personal uh, effort to get people, you know, out of there. Um, how does that stand right now? H has that been successful with everyone that you all have been trying to get out? Well, um, in terms of the many, many organizations we've been in touch with, especially those working with women, many of whom don't officially have visa paperwork yet from the United States government allowing them, you know, uh, uh, entry into this country. Most of them have not been successful. There have been a handful of cases here and there, but I think the large majority have not found success. The real challenge over the past week, uh, I mean, I've just learned something new every day with intel coming from the ground that First, it was an effort when the, when the Taliban took over to really figure out, can we get charter planes into Kabul to transport women out? Then it was a matter of figuring out, can we get them paperwork to be able to get into the airport? Then it just became a matter of, can we even get them to the airport gate through crowds of thousands of people to be able to, to try and get in the gate? And those gates, as you might imagine, have let fewer and fewer people in, especially since Thursday when the suicide bomber was there.
So, so what happens after Tuesday then, after the, the last uh, military plane leaves from the uh, Hamid Karzai International Airport? What happens to these women? It's a great question and one where uh, our team is still, you know, working on and talking to our network of people about to, to, to really sort of, it's a little bit of a regrouping time because the time, the ability to leave on either charter flights or um, American, you know, military planes has essentially closed as of yesterday. And so now we all have to take a step back and say, what pressure can we put on um, the U.S. government, our international allies, the U.N. to really create some pathways, particularly in the U.N.? I know they're thinking about how they can create a safe travel zone for people to still be able to leave. What do negotiations look like with the Taliban going forward in, in terms of allowing people to leave the country um, who we think live in danger. So those are all the conversations that we're about to start having because everybody's been so urgently working just to, to get individuals out in this small window but, that we've had. Holly, let me ask you about that. If the United States doesn't have an embassy anymore there, if, if these people flee to another country, if there's a safe zone they go through with, with the UN, they're still going to be in limbo, it sounds like, because at some point they still need to get some type of documents Correct. from a, an embassy or consulate uh, in a neighboring country, right? Correct. And many of the people who have left in the past week still don't have, are going to have to wait in the country they're in. I mean, we have countries all over the world. Uganda has hundreds of people who've been accepted. Macedonia, the UAE. We've got, you know, people sitting there and they're going to have to stay for a while. Um, they'll either come to the United States. Many of them will not end up in the United States. That's okay, too. Other, other you know, other countries... Um, we'll be taking them, but we have to figure out this issue of like, how do you get them a, a legal, you know, way to sort of permanently be in that country. So there's a lot of people who have escaped, who are going to be in a waiting pattern. And for those who have yet to be able to leave, they will have to be under similar circumstances for a while if they don't already have approved paperwork uh, to be uh, approved visas to be able to live in another country. And of course, through everything that you're doing here, you have former President George W. Bush by your side on this. Uh, that's a good name to be associated with when you're trying to reach policymakers and, and people in our government and at the U.N. and so forth. Have you all been able to get people's ear to, to, to say this is what needs to happen next? Somewhat. I mean, yes, it, obviously we are blessed to be able to work for an institution where President and Mrs. Bush care deeply about this issue overall and these people that we've all been, you know, working to get out. Um, but I will say the other thing I've been struck with over the past several weeks is what's true of us is true of so many other people who have very senior connections in government or in NGOs. And everybody has been in a very similar circumstance. Um, uh, it's it's really just put a pin in this fact that there was not adequate preparation for the tens of thousands of people who we knew would need some ability um, uh, to get their paperwork in order. And it just, it, it all happened so quickly that in hindsight, it's why many people are frustrated and upset um, uh, that we didn't do more as a country to, to really get ahead of this a little bit more, no matter the decision on whether troops should have stayed or gone, sort of to be ready uh, for, for what happens. So, yes, we've had some receptivity, but honestly, we've had so many other people like us in very senior positions who have had little success at, um, at getting people out because there's just so many sort of complex factors to the actual evacuation itself. Mm. Holly, what should have happened? Because 
the last administration was even talking about withdrawal dates. So people knew this was coming at some point, uh, you know, separate from how the, the disaster is unfolding right now with, with President Biden. What should have happened and why didn't people who are in Afghanistan have a better idea that things were winding down? We need to start figuring out what to do. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'm not I'm not a national security expert, but obviously I will tell you, even we at the Bush Institute, you know, sent a letter um Uh, with many other organizations several months ago talking about the need to really start expediting the processing of SIV visa holders and many of these at-risk women. And uh, while some of them were moved along, many of them were not. So when, so when this, uh, when the Taliban took over so quickly, so many people were literally in limbo and didn't even have paperwork in place. And that could have all been, um, prepared for in a much smarter way ahead of time. And many organizations were asking for that to happen. I mean, was was that to the state department? There will be a full, yes, that's the state department. There will obviously be a full investigation and a lot of congressional hearings to understand this. And so I'm sure we'll learn a lot more in the coming months to, to why that wasn't the case. All right, Jason, hold, hold your next question here. Let's get a quick break in from our sponsor. All right, let's get back to the program now. Holly, you have walked the hallways of the White House, uh, also in Congress, too. Uh, you've been right there, you know, where the pinnacle of power is. Um, how hard has it been? How humbling has it been to be on the outside when something this momentous is happening and you have personal involvement and you're trying to change policy yeah. and, and influence things and it, you, you can't almost? Yeah, I mean, it's hard and it's especially, um, you know, it, 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 when I think the thing that's been so hard over the past week is all the either, either the, the graduates of our leadership program who we've been in, you know, regular communication with every single day, 24 hours a day, or the stories of people pleading for help that have come in. Um, it's hard to be able to say, I, I, I don't know what to do for all of you right now. Um, and we're trying our best. Um, but it has been um, it has been humbling to really sort of not always be able to deliver great news to everyone and be able to say we can help we can get you out. So yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a real challenge this past week. Holly, how many people are, is the Bush Institute and are you trying to help get out? Well, we've most directly been involved in getting the three families that um, that were part of our program out. One of them was able to leave with the support of the British government a week ago. Um, and then two, uh, we are still in the midst of helping our two other families. They have not yet been able to leave. And, and these are Afghan families, right? Afghan families, yes. Women who women who've worked for Western institutions um, uh, who, you know, we care deeply about. And because they've worked for Western institutions, they, that puts them at even greater danger. Of course, we know as the right. Taliban has retaken there. When you talk right. to them, have the have you been able to sense in the conversations that the, the temperature is sort of turned up on them? That can, can yes. you hear a difference as we go through time? Yes. I mean, part of what we have to be careful about is for all the for all the worry we have and for all the pits in our stomach we have as we try to do this work, their their situation is even harder. I mean, they're you know what they hear out their windows, um, they hear explosions. Uh, they've obviously had rocket attacks over the past several days. I mean, they're they're you know living in a in a 
in a place that's turned into a war zone, essentially. And it's hard to comprehend what that even feels like for them. Holly, can you zoom out and give us an idea of what you expect the next year to look like in Afghanistan and and what the U.S. relationship might be over the next year or two? Well, I, I don't know for sure. And, um, and a lot of other, you know, foreign policy experts will really have a better sense of that than me. But I think what I would say is um, on, on behalf of all the people and organizations who are, you know, working on behalf of any U.S. citizens who are still there, any special immigrant visa holders who are still there, who, any high-risk women who are still there, that we just be careful not to walk away entirely and that we use any leverage we have, um, uh, both in our direct conversations with the Taliban and with our international partners, um, to be really smart about how we don't close the window for these people um, and that we use every level possible we can to, to continue to identify a way for people to get out and also to support the people who are remaining, the millions and millions and millions of people um, who are there. I mean, we also know brave women leaders who've started schools who've said, I'm staying. Hmm. I'm going to figure it out. I don't know how. But I'm staying and I'm committed to this. How do you support them? Well, this is where a very large international NGO network comes in. This is where a very large network of generous Americans and citizens around the world from a financial perspective can do that. Um, but obviously it is it is our government. I mean, our government is really the one um, ideally with many of the international partners who we've been you know, working with over the years who really sit down and take a deep breath and look at hard at, and look hard at this. My biggest fear is that we just walk away. I, I think a lot of us uh, take it with a really, you know, big pinch of salt uh, here when we think about the the Taliban sort of rebranding themselves here as Taliban 2.0 and 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 kind of putting some assurances out there that no 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 things will be better for women this time around. Uh, but yet we've already seen like you know uh, hey women we need you to stay home and not go to work right now. Um, what is your feeling about that? Are you at yeah. all heartened? I, I I think I know the answer to this, but I have to ask. No, I'm not. And I mean, you know, there was a story last week where one of the leaders in the Taliban said, we essentially have to train our Taliban members on how to better treat women. Well, if you have to train them on how to better treat women, then this is not, you, you are not, this is not the Taliban 2.0. Um, and given the stories I just told you and the, the stories we've heard about killings that have already happened, uh, we're not optimistic at the moment. Mm. Do you guys have any direct talks at all, or are you guys any anyone direct that you're, you're dealing with there with the Taliban, or, or did you have any direct uh, uh, contact with the Afghan government before it collapsed? No, I mean we through through our work uh, through and the many others who are part of the U.S. Afghan Women's Council. Laura, I should I should make sure to mention that Laura Bush is still an honorary co-chair of the U.S. Afghan Women's Council. Um, we had a lot. We had a lot of contact with the with the Afghan government over the years in terms of everything they were doing to support women and girls. But in this very fast fall, um, you know, that's happened, that obviously has all stopped. They're no longer there and in power. And the U.S. Afghan Women's Council, that institution, of course, goes on here. But do we even have a sense of what that looks like at this point? 
No, and in fact, that that group will be, you know, meeting today to talk. It's essentially it's essentially an organization of organizations, right? There, we'll all be meeting today to talk about what do we know, how do we move forward, um, uh, and how do we think about, you know, the requests we make so that we can still do our best to protect as many women as possible. Holly, for the people you're talking to still on the ground there, um, we obviously know what the security situation is. It, it, it's fluid. It's dicey. It's it's dangerous. Um, but what about like just the humanitarian situation? Are they able to our families able to eat? Are they able to get food or is electricity on? Uh, can you describe what you know? What yeah, telling good you? question. I mean, I will say this: I haven't had any indications from them that electricity is an issue. Um, uh or that food has been an issue, but we do know that obviously banks access to cash is a real challenge that's been reported in the news. And, and I've heard some verification of that. Um, and, and those humanitarian needs, I know a lot of organizations are starting to think about, um, but I haven't, I haven't heard any reports yet of, of as significant a challenges like, you know, electricity being turned off. And of course, cat- Cash is important if you're trying to leave the country to, to at least, you know, get you down the road uh, is why that's so important. But, yeah, we have seen those reports, Jason. Yep. Holly, um, you know, we know that uh, former President Bush has been loath to comment too much uh, on, you know, the, the different policies his successors have put in place since he left, left office. Occasionally, though, when he feels strongly about something, he does come out publicly. Uh, and he was asked about this drawdown uh, and whether he thought it was a mistake. And he said he did think it is, uh, that the consequences will be unbelievably bad and sad, he said. And then he specifically said that uh, he worries that Afghan women and girls could suffer unspeakable harm. How personally involved uh, has he been and has the former first lady, Laura Bush, been as as the center there? The Institute is scrambling to to help people that you all know and have worked with. Yeah, well, they, you know, they are certainly updated and know exactly uh, what's happening they let us do our jobs, though, in terms of, you know, the on the ground work um, and and the support system and network that we can provide. So, yeah, they're 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 terribly uh, they, they know exactly sort of what's happening and the stories they're hearing. And, and um, they are careful to comment. But he made those comments several months ago. And uh, he, right. He was he was right at the time. And then obviously he put out a statement last week, too. Of, of course, we um, went into uh, Afghanistan during his administration in 2001 after the 9-11 attacks. Um, and can you just kind of typify for people who haven't really kept up with the Bushes over the years? This has been very personal for them. Uh, I yeah. mean, uh, the, the first lady, you know, really took on great risk in going to visit Afghanistan in what was, you know, a very top secret visit because of security concerns many years ago. This is very personal for them. Yep, absolutely. I mean, Mrs. Bush gave the first, she was the first first lady to give a presidential radio address. She did that in November of 2001 on behalf of Afghan women, really raising these issues nearly 20 years ago to talk about why we needed to fight for them and support them. And obviously in those 20 years, up until several months ago, we, we saw immense gains. It went from thousands of girls in school to millions of girls in school. Um, and 
And President Bush, of course, much of the other work we've done here at the Bush Institute is on behalf of our nation's veterans, many of whom have served in Afghanistan. Mm. And that statement he put out last week also really sort of went to, to try and give them some level of comfort for the years of service and sacrifice they gave to this country and for the 20 years of, of safety that we've lived in in this country, all much of that due to our service members being willing to serve in Afghanistan. Holly, along that same uh, line of questioning there, too, was it surprising or how surprising was it there at the Bush Institute and for the people you're talking to in Afghanistan uh, as far as the rapid collapse of, of the uh, of the national government? What was that like there? Well, you know, this is where we our organization has really worked. The, the two issues where we've most distinctly sort of been involved in, in this work over the past several years is on behalf of women and then our work on veterans, which is not specific to Afghanistan, but of course includes so many who right. have served there. So we're, we don't necessarily, we're not a, we're not a, um, we're not a national security team here to be, to have been sort of studying how quickly we thought that would happen. So, I don't have I don't have great insight to that. Um, obviously, I think I think so many people were surprised at how quickly it happened. Um, but but still, uh, there were a lot of things that had been asked of for many months since the decision was made to pull troops that had not been put in place. And um, and, and that's just been a, a a real challenge and a real mistake. I think that the Afghan women uh, really captured the hearts of Americans uh, over, over the years. And, and there was a real affinity that this country developed uh, for these women. And we I think that a lot of people here collectively just took a lot of joy in watching uh, the metamorphosis that happened uh, when girls started being able to go to school, women started being able to work, women started serving in government there uh, in, in, in leadership roles. Um, and, and now all of that is in, in peril once again. And, and I'm just curious, do you know how long, I mean, this, this happened very quickly, but this is something that's generational. This could, uh, I mean, all of that progress wiped away so quickly and, and that could last for generations there. Right. And Afghanistan is a very young country, 60 to uh, somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of the population is under the age of 20. A lot of these a lot of these young women then have never known what it was like living under Taliban rule. No, nor do we want them to. But unfortunately, that's the reality. Do you worry, though, that, you know, as I said, you know, this captured the hearts of so many people here. And I think we paid so much attention to the Afghanistan war uh, for so many years. And then it just sort of fell off of everybody's radar. Well, now it's back and, and everybody's paying attention again. Do you worry about this becoming something that falls to the back pages of, of the yes. newspaper again? And we stop paying attention. And, and, and as the former president says, unspeakable harm comes to women and girls there. Yeah. And honestly, that's that's one of the things we view as our role at the Bush Institute is we're going to try and, and keep this on people's radar as much as possible and tell the stories of these women um, and, and assess what's happening in the coming months and years and be able to keep that in the public awareness, um, because that that's one of the most dangerous things is that, you know, when our when our official diplomatic presence and our troop presence is gone, that we somehow uh, don't highlight what's happening. And so that's one of the goals that we have at the Bush Institute is we're going to continue telling their stories and, and advocating on their behalf. 
Holly, last question for you from me. Do, do you or do any of these women have any hope for Afghanistan and the, the rule of the Taliban, which is just now beginning? Oh, that's a really great question. I'm not sure we've asked them that um, yeah, quite yet. Um, uh, and I'm sure we'll engage in those discussions at some point soon. Um, How about you? Are you hopeful at all? Is is there is there any inkling or seed anywhere that says, wow, maybe some of these women might be okay? These girls? Not yet. It's just too soon to tell, I think. Um, I mean, I always like to be an optimistic person. And, uh, and, you know, we try and channel our optimism through helping all of these women. Um, It can be hard to be optimistic at a sort of, you know, high level on what we're seeing there. And, and we will certainly try um, going forward. That's all you can really do. Uh, That uh, segues nicely into my last question for you too. Does this, does this light even more of a fire? I mean, I know this is already a passion there for the Institute. This is obviously one of the main things that you all have focused on for many years, but these things change us. You know, when we see these things happen, these things change us. And I'm speaking as someone who doesn't know someone on the ground there. You all know people on the ground there. You're living this personally. Is this a seminal moment for, for you all as an organization, for you as a person? Does this sort of define your path going forward? Well, I will say, you know, yes, I do think we, we at the Bush Institute are not going to be walking away from this. It was it was certainly not on our, you know, in our plans for the year to be this in, to, to know this was coming. But when things like this happen, yes, it, it makes you really just sort of dedicate yourself. And I will say that, you know, we have a great team here. We work on we've always worked on behalf of Afghan women. We are strong believers in the need to reform our immigration system. We work on behalf of our nation's veterans. And so our teams across all of those issues have been working over the past several weeks because of this confluence of what's been happening. Our, our nation's veterans are sitting there trying to get their allies and interpreters into this country. Um, we've needed help thinking about how to make it through sort of the immigration system and get people here. And then, of course, our passion and compassion for these Afghan women comes into full force. So, um, yes. This, this will be something that I think certainly lights a fire in terms of how important and, and, and the radar this will stay on for us uh, going forward. Well, that's a good thing because they, they're going to need you. Yeah, they, they, they definitely will. Thanks for taking our call. We really hope that, that you guys are successful in getting these uh, last two uh, graduates out from your leadership program out of Afghanistan and their families as well, too. And, and thanks for keeping the flag raised on, on the plight of women and girls there in that country, too. Holly. Uh, We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, Godspeed. Thank you. You too. Wow, man, she was she was great to get context from. But you know what? What really kind of struck me on that, besides just just the frantic nature of of trying to find a way out for those last two graduates, is how she, like so many of us, she didn't have any, uh, didn't express any hope for the future. For that country. Yeah. And, and people just don't know. Uh, but based on what we know of the Taliban, um, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's understandable why no one would have, have hope for the future. But the, the struggle with that is caught in the middle of it are millions of women and girls. And like Holly pointed out, so many of them, uh, 60 to 70 percent of the country is like under the age of 20. Yeah. You know, as a, as a dad of two daughters, you know, you, you think about uh, that a lot. I've thought a lot about it in these uh, past couple of weeks and 
what that must be like, uh, you know, for these young women, for these girls, for these older women uh, there in Afghanistan. And, you know, it, it really did leap to the forefront and make us all start thinking again about that side of the world that maybe we haven't thought of for quite a while. And, you know, I, I you know, lay my head down on the pillow sometimes in, in recent days and have actually thought about, you know, gosh, what must that be like to to be living under that and knowing what might be coming uh, and, and I'm not even, you know, frantically working to get, you know, particular people out. So you really do uh, feel Holly's pain and frustration as well as everyone else there uh, at the Bush Institute as they are trying to get out these people they know. But I think that they're also they've got to be so nagged by the thoughts of the people they don't know, uh, but they know they're there and they know what they might be about to go through. And this is an area of policy that they have worked on for so long. Imagine working on a project for years and years and years and years and making great progress and seeing the strides that are being made and then just having it, you know, essentially undone uh, in the blink of an eye here and then trying to get up off of that mat again and go, okay, how do we regroup here and go forward? Uh, and and this isn't some vanity project. It's life or death uh, for a lot of people who are counting on you. It's It's got to just be overwhelming. Uh, and as she said, they're going to be having that uh, meeting with the U.S. Afghan Women's Council again to try to figure out, like, how do we take the steps again? Where do we go from here? And she also said, too, about how the, the people who did get out, they're, they're fortunate to have gotten on, a, on an aircraft and leave the country. But now comes the paperwork war, trying to yeah. get the State Department to do the background checks, do the health checks, find find uh, placement for these people, those are just the ones that come to the United States, these special immigrant visas that are that are given to these Afghan uh, interpreters, commandos, the, the different people who we were able to get out. And then there are, you know, thousands of them who will not be coming to the U.S., but they still yeah. have to be placed. So fortunately, they are out with their lives. But the, the struggle now is uh, kind of rebuilding their lives from here and, and getting the, uh, the the bureaucracy and the red tape um you know, cut through so they can at least restart as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that uh, it's incumbent upon all of us to, you know, not let this drop off right. the radar, not let this fall back to the back pages uh, of the newspaper. You know, I was just thinking the other day, here we are, here we are in this time uh, in, in history, here we are in the 21st century, and we're still seeing you know, these it's almost like going back to the dark ages uh, in, in some parts of the world. And, yeah, that's on another part of the world. It's not our country. Uh, there are people who could make an argument that that's not our problem. But but isn't it kind of everybody's, you know, when when people are living under that kind of, you know, potential oppression again? And remember, Jason, Afghanistan is just one of the countries like this. It's just mm-hmm. one that the U.S. happens to be involved with because of what happened on 9-11. But there are, are many other countries. Myanmar comes to comes to mind. Yemen. Yeah. I mean, you, you can name a number of other countries that, that that have a population, have women and girls and families going through this exact same thing. It's just staggering uh, in this day and I'm age. I'm going to go find that armadillo uh, beer you got, man, because yeah. uh, I think I need another one. And I am actually interested in that. Uh, the, the honey, please is what it was, right? Honey, please. Honey, please. It, it's honey and mesquite beans. 
honey and mesquite beans, um, and a and also mixed in with a honey malt. They say who, who thought that was a good uh, idea for double a beer? honey? But who? I mean, I, can you imagine? I, like, hey, going man, the, the beans are working. You might as well use what they've made. But go through the pantry, and you're like, ah, let's do some beans in this batch. <laughs> we'll do some honey in here. Maybe some tomato. It's sauce. like when you were first. It's like how you made dinner when I you know. were first starting out, man. Those cupboards were bare, <laughs> and you had to just make something come together, and that's how you do it. I know. Uh, hey, you know what, everybody? We have a yes. phone number yes. now. Tell, um, I, I interrupt so that you. you can, say it again. Say it again. No, we have a phone number now. I, I, I know that that sounds kind of like, well, okay, this is good. You know, here we are in the 21st century, and I'm getting excited that we have a phone number. But we have a phone number. It's our own dedicated line now. So, you know, you can pass along ideas to us for future podcasts. If you, you know, see something going on that has some ties to politics here in Texas, let us know about it. Uh, or, you know, if you just have general criticisms of Jason Whiteley, let us know those there, too. <laughs> or beer uh, selection, too. Number, beer selection, too. Don't, oh, yeah, yeah. Beer selection as well. Uh, so don't hesitate to reach out to us. The number is 214-977-6020. 214-977-6020. We try to get a cool number. We just don't rank that That's high not a cool yet. number. Uh, so we, we have the basic number. <laughs> 214-977-6020. If Wheeler can't answer the phone and he doesn't answer my phone or text, uh, my phone calls or text too. very often. Uh, leave a message. We actually, you know what? We, we might use some messages on the podcast, on the next podcast. Why not? Especially if they're critical of white. Yeah, bring, bring it on. Uh, so yeah, let us know what's on your mind. And, uh, we appreciate you listening once again today. We do hope that you'll subscribe so that you get these every time they come down the pike there and, uh, let your friends know about it as well. We will do it all again a week from now, unless, you know, events dictate that we got to do it sooner than Fingers that. Fingers crossed, man. 